0: in the middle of a, uh, some teaching about the book of Acts and we're in the first part where Peter is the dominant focus, Peter and John but uh, the focus in the book of Acts as we get into uh, the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit there are some things here that I'm trying to uh, lay down before you so we understand uh, what God is doing on earth for heaven's sake. And uh, what he was doing 2,000 years ago, he wants to do today. But what he was doing 2,000 years ago, after the crucifixion of Christ, after the resurrection of Christ, after the ascension of Christ, after the the dissension of the Holy Spirit, Luke writes, and everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles, and all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions, and they were sharing with them with all as anyone might have need. And day by day they were continuing with one mind. In the temple and breaking bread from house to house. And they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to the number day by day those who were being saved. That's at the end of chapter 2. Then comes the healing of the beggar in the temple. And we go through that whole scenario two weeks ago where God not only healed the, temp- the beggar but it was healing other people who had crippled hearts. For those who were around listening and watching these signs of wonder were interested in the miracles that God had been doing some miraculous things, but what Luke wanted to say to us through the scriptures is that it's not the miracle, the healing of the cripple that was important. It was the healing of the crippled heart that was important. And therefore, many people who didn't know about Jesus, became believers that day when Luke writes, you disowned him. You demanded that this Jesus, this Messiah that you crucified, you didn't want him, and even made sure that he was rejected. You didn't want him. But even though you didn't want him, he wanted you. And therefore this one, who you rejected God as a set up as the cornerstone, and he who believes in him wouldn't be disappointed. This Christ, this one attested to you by signs and wonders, this is God's son, and you've walked away. As they were pierced, understanding that they were the ones who crucified Christ, they repented, and they changed. And so Luke would go on to say that, that now your relationship with God, once you were anti-Christ, resisting in opposition, now you had come to become part of the body of believers. And so, at the end of that session, uh, Paul writes, or Luke writes, for um, for truly in this city they were gathered to, together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, Herod. Pontus Pilus, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur, which was to persecute Christ and to persecute the church, which they did. Even in all that confusion, the believers had something that the non-believers didn't have. And so Luke writes, And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart, and one soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to them was his own. But all things were again were common property to them. And with great power with the apostles, um, they were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and the abundant grace was upon them all. And again the focus here is not so much the healing of the cripple or the community, but it was Christ in them hope of glory there was not a needy person among them for all who were owners of the land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and they would lay them at the apostles feet and they would be distributed to each as any had need Well, that's the New Testament model taking place among the Jewish people the believers and so we're going to look at this Passage in a way to think about what is what are the lessons that God has for us that we can learn from our brothers and sisters two thousand years ago in this passage. So I've titled this the Tapestry of Fellowship, and the focus of this the focus of this will be on that key word of fellowship. But you know, I know in Kenya there is this phrase, um, the birds of a feather flock together because you told me that. And so this is so much like human nature. We tend to like those that are like us. And so those who were against Christ flock to those who are against Christ. Those who are believers in Christ flock to those who believe in Christ. If you do the cross-cultural studies, there's one study that said you can divide the whole world into two groups of people, Uh, those who are believers and those who are doubters. Those who are positive and those who are negative. But we tend to group them with us and them. We tend to have our own tribe, our own thinking. But the, the phrase says, birds of a feather flock together. Flocking, moving, flying. Uh, there's something about this idea that, that in, in the context of creation, God wants communities to take place. In the animal kingdom, this is certainly true. You see this all the way across from, from fish or birds or wherever you go. But how about those who have a different feather? Those who don't look like you, talk like you, walk like you, think like you—you're really different, radically different. Well, there's another bird that I want to introduce. You guys know—it's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> um, That when the Holy Spirit comes into differences, there's a tapestry that's made, of fellowship, uh, that brings all this diversity into unity. Now, there's a difference between unity and conformity, you know. But the idea that the Holy Spirit so loves the diversity of people. Look around you. Look at at all, all of us here. None of you look the same. None of us are the same. And even though we are here in, in the Chesterland Baptist Church, and though we share many things in common, we are so different. Well, what happens if you take that out to the nations? And you think that God wants unity among the nations, harmony among the nations. Well, there's a word in the New Testament that really captures that word. And that word you know is koinonia, our camp up in Geneva. Koinonia, though, is often misunderstood. Because koinonia uh, is taken from, uh, has been translated from the Latin into communion. And so we tend to think of community or uh, a communion, or we tend to think about um, joint participation and intimacy. But this is a very important word. And so in the Greek, 19 times the word koinonia is used. And in particular, in the Greek, it's 12 times it's translated as fellowship. And so when you think about koinonia, or think about fellowship, there's a word that doesn't come out in the translations I'll bring up in a minute. But the, it talks about participation or contribution. But the word koinonia, if you understand this word as they understood it, it was more about partnership. It's like the yoke fellow that you're locked into an agreement. You're bonded to as a partner with. You have a companion to your right and to your left and to your front of you and the back of you. If you see each other as partners, partners or companions or journey of sojourners together you're getting closer to the idea of what fellowship was all about in Acts, we said when they had prayed the place where they had gathered together because if you're going to gather together no matter what you look like or what the differences are what brings us together is not our differences it's not even our similarities because we have something else that's really uniting us. And it's not what we believe. It's who we believe. And therefore, when they were gathered together and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak the Word of God with boldness. That's the heart of fellowship, is that if you are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, and through the Spirit, your life, your story, your relationship becomes the very means that the Holy Spirit will minister out to the rest of the body. And we are gathered together for Christ. Gatherings, gatherings are common. Uh, I was at Walmart uh, last week with my sister on her day off, and we went in to buy some, some locks for my friend's home, and I watched my sister talk with her colleagues at Walmart, and how much she enjoyed connecting, and they enjoyed connecting. It was just kind of, this was my brother, so on and so forth. But I thought, uh, in the workplace, most of us find real camaraderie with the work. We find an association. We find comfort. Sometimes we find more comfort in people at work than we do in our neighborhoods or in our own families. But even so, you can find associations and people that will meet your needs all the way across the board. Bowling alleys, biker clubs. Uh, and in one sense, the church could be just identical to the Rotary Club or any political rally. And if you think that the church is a social club, you've got a lot to learn because we are not just another cultural group that get together because were birds flocking together. We have a different purpose. And that purpose is not the same as this group had because there's another group of people that were motivated, encouraged together in unity with a different purpose. 427, for truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus. You see, it's not the gathering that really defines you. It's the purpose. Why are you here? Why did he call you here? And what is your purpose? And how do you fit in? Well, all of those things we understand that as the New Testament believers were called, we're called, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship, koinonia, with his son. And therefore, you've got to understand that, Bob, your relationship with Jesus is just as significant as Susan's. And Susan, you have a calling on your life, just like Joetta. And Joetta, you have a calling because the father who calls you is the same one who calls Mark, who calls Paul and and you go down, you have a calling on your life. And that calling is to be in the presence of Christ. And where there's fellowship, you should hear the Lord speak to your heart. You should hear the Lord encourage you with grace. You should experience what Christ wants you to experience in the Holy Spirit. That is part of your, your, your heritage as the gospel is yours. And so God is faithful, who's called us into fellowship with his Son. And therefore, John would go on and pick this up and says, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And so Christ is the focal point of our fellowship. Christ is the purpose of our fellowship. We want to know Jesus Christ. And the problem is, we don't know him very well. And The problem is, we don't talk about knowing him very well. And the problem is, even if we were honest to know, we don't know how to get to know him very well. We don't have fellowship unless people stimulate and build us up to encourage us. How do you walk with Christ? What is Christ teaching you? What are the lessons? What are the the questions? What are the obstacles that you have? But but John says what we have is a, a relationship with Jesus, and we want you to have the same relationship with Jesus. I came across a book last week, a good book, you know. But it was called Evangelism as Worship caught me off guard because you think if you love Jesus with all your heart and soul strength and mind and he is everything you think he is and he is he's awesome and the holiness of God catches you and the the grace of God catches you and the mercy of God catches you and you think this is the best thing that's ever happened in your life that you got salvation in Christ if that so motivates you why wouldn't you want other people to worship him as well If you get forgiven and you know the freedom in Christ, wouldn't you want that for other people? Sure you would. And therefore we proclaim him, naturally proclaim him, because we want you to know what we know. And that's what John says. But notice something. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not practice the truth. It's one thing to have the question, do you believe in Jesus? Yes, I do. But not have the response of a relationship and not practice what we believe. And that's what we talked about last week. But notice, John says something very interesting. Notice these words. 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, what's the result? We have the life of Christ, right? No, that's not what that says. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So the proof, if, if you're walking in the Spirit, is your relationship in the fellowship. The proof, if you're walking in the light, is how well you're loving the person next to you, the person behind you. The proof of your abiding in Christ is your horizontal fellowship. Fellowship. And that's different because he says we have fellowship with one another and then the thing that ties it all together is the blood of Jesus that forgives you forgives me I no longer condemn you you no longer no longer condemn me and therefore it's the blood of Christ the cross of Christ it's Christ coming in to say his son purifies us changes us from the inside out we Think differently. Therefore, you have to understand what the Spirit of God is doing among the Jewish people in the New Testament times is to give them a whole different purpose. You know why? Because the word koinonia isn't even mentioned in the Old Testament. It's the mark of the Holy Spirit that when the Spirit of God comes, communities of faith are being brought up. Communities of the Spirit are brought up. And these Spirit this this Purpose that the spirit has has some things that he wants us to understand first of all there is a condition In order to have fellowship you have to walk Together in the light And what you see in the light is everything that we're hiding in the darkness, but you're transparent You are known and you are open to be known as he is open and he is known there is a condition the result You understand I'm messed up. (laughs) You understand I'm a wounded man. You understand I don't have it all together. And therefore, in that understanding, you give grace as Christ would give grace. You give mercy when Christ gives mercy. You give patience because you know sin will bind people. I've said it a number of times. When we look at people, we tend to see people for who they are instead of who God wants them to be. We look at their sin, not as, uh, as something wrong or, but instead of seeing sin as the problem, we, we see this person isn't enjoying who God made them to be because of some obstacle of sin. And therefore, the growth is getting rid of those things that block our fellowship with God and our block our fellowship with one another. And that's the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ will purify us if we walk in the light. But some people don't walk in the light. And we have talked about two weeks ago how people seem to get pulled away and become influenced by the world. And therefore they leave their faith and become atheists or humanists or whatever. But John says very clearly, if we are, if we are walking in the light, then we're going to have fellowship with one another. But you will have fellowship. You will have fellowship with somebody who's walking in truth or somebody who's walking in error. And that's why the influence of the people that you gather with really is amazingly important. And therefore, Paul goes on to say, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. You don't have fellowship. Uh, what, do, what does righteousness and wickedness have in common? There are two different groups, and one person's going to influence the other. Either you will lift people up or people will pull you down. and therefore your life will have an influence. Now the question is this: How does the Holy Spirit work in the life of an unbeliever who walks in darkness to bring him into the light? How does the Holy Spirit work? If you're going to influence people for Christ, like John did, like Luke did, like uh, Peter and John did. And then think about how does the Holy Spirit work in the life of a believer, who is either resisting or struggling with doubt, in order to help them practice the truth. Well, he brings in the fellowship and the partnership that we have with Christ, is the same kind of partnership that he wanted to introduce in the book of Acts. And here's the trick. With the book of Acts, remember you start with Jewish people. Some believe and some don't believe. But you've got a group, a nugget here, a forming community of the kingdom. But in that community you will find tensions and testing coming up because there were Hebrew Jews who lived in Israel And there were Hellenistic Jews who were outside of Israel. Even among the Jews, there was a difficulty in relating between the Greek-speaking Jewish people who were international in their focus and the Hebrew-focused, internal, ethnocentric, Israel-Jerusalem-bound. This is their custom. So there's a tension that you will see coming out in the book of Acts. But what takes place... What takes place, as you will see, is there's a conversion. Now take a minute with me, because I'll talk about this later when we talk about versions of the Bible. but well, that's another pot of coffee. But I want you to look at this one word: version. What's a version? Well, you'll see here, according to the online dictionary, it's a translation which is rendered from another language. Version from the medieval Latin versionum it means a turning or a translation now get the idea of turning the fellowship of the turned those who have turned away uh, from the darkness and those who turn to the light those who are turned back those who who will be uh, transformed or changed now you know this term version that's not that's not an uncommon word but but I wanna just stimulate your thinking because we use it in a lot of different ways. Like a convertible. When you have, a, when you have this car that's a convertible, does it change? Well, some, to some degree, you take off the top and you have your hair blowing in the wind as you drive down. But that word convert means some adjustment, some change, but fundamentally, you've still got the same identity. Well, this word, version, or, or conversion, the root is used in lots of words. Look at these words. It means turning. Another year goes by, you've got another anniversary. You've got uh, somebody turning against one, other, one another. There's a versus. You've got somebody's turning against. There's aversion. You're talking about someone who turns you in to subvert you. You talk about perversion to corrupt, to turn away. You talk about diversion to distract and get your focus off. But you have the extrovert, one who's turning out, the introvert, one who's turning in, the university, one who's turning someone into learning, and then you have an adversary. All of these have different turnings depending upon who you walk with. But these, these guys wrote different versions of the Bible, which I won't get into, but John Wycliffe turned, uh, he wrote the first English Bible, but he turned it from Latin into English. William Tyndale went back to the original Greek and he turned the original Greek into English. Martin Luther, turned it from the Latin and it went back into the original went to the German and then you have the 47 guys who King James uh, got brought together and they changed the Bible into an authorized version. Well, I don't want to go on to these things except to say this. As you go into the tapestry, how do you turn somebody who is against you towards you? How do you change someone who is a fool into a wise man? Somebody who's self-worshipping into one who worships Christ? Well, the answer is the tapestry of the fellowship. Because when Christ brings differences together and he binds them together, that theme that binds people together is Jesus. What we have coming up on Friday night next week is a an opportunity for you to learn the differences and how to appreciate the differences as we move into our uh, Myers Briggs refresher course on Friday night. So, I want to invite you uh, if you haven't learned how to understand people or appreciate the differences, Friday night is a refresher course. And then that's going to lead into how you understand spiritual formation, spiritual growth what preferences you have and what tendencies you have to judge or complain about other people but we're going in from there to move into spiritual giftings and to look at your contribution into the church because you are part of the fellowship you belong here and there's a reason why you're here because you have a calling in your life therefore as i conclude this sermon tonight we're going to i just want you to understand that you have a calling And God wants to help you turn to him and to each other so that our purpose is that we will turn outward and reach the world for Christ. We all need help with that. We all need help with that. So let me conclude with a word of prayer. And would you bow with me as we close? Father, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe because you were working through your believers. I pray for the same thing, Jesus, that you would continue to turn us to you and turn us to ourselves to encourage and edify and that we would turn outward to do what Ron and Joy are doing. Father, Father, we are birds of a feather, but we're an international community. And therefore, give us the grace to learn how to love and work together to honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.